Last week we looked at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, and this morning we are going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, but I'm going to read beginning in 12 just to remind us of the context from which we have, came, we have come. So join me as I read God's word from Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And our section for this morning. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful let the word of christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to god and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him let's pray Lord, we come to you this morning and ask for your help. Jesus, you remind us, your word, that without we can do nothing without you. Nothing. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning and address us from your word. I pray that you would give us clarity, direction, encouragement. Pray that you would send your spirit to be in our midst to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted, Lord. Pray that we would walk away knowing and representing you more, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Recently I talked to my friend, Pete David Saver, and he told me about a book that just undid him, I think would be the right way to say that. It's called Tortured for Christ, and it, was, it is the account of Richard Wormbrandt, who was a Romanian national who for years was incarcerated, imprisoned by the communists there behind the Iron Curtain. And as a Christian, he saw his incarceration as his mission field. And so he would interact with people and try to share the gospel with people and help people understand who Jesus is. And Wormbrand, in his book, gives us the following conversation with one Joseph. Joseph and him were looking at Jesus in the Gospels, and they were, they were, they were trying to... Joseph, uh, Wormbrand was trying to evangelize Joseph, and at one point, Joseph says, we have read nearly everything Jesus said now, but I still wonder what he was like to know as a man. Wormbrand says, I'll tell you. When I was in room four, there was a pastor who would give away everything he had. His last bit of bread, his medicine, the coat from his back. I have given these things also sometimes when I wanted them for myself, but at other times when men were hungry and sick and in need, I could be very quiet. I didn't care. That other pastor, he was really Christ-like. You felt it in the touch of his hand, 
as he could heal and calm. One day he talked to a small group of prisoners and one of them asked the question, you have asked me, what is Jesus like? I've never met anyone like the man you described, so good, loving, and truthful. Wormbrand goes on, and the pastor replied, in a moment of great courage, simply and humbly, Jesus is like me. And the man who had often received the kindness from the pastor answered smiling, if Jesus is like you, then I love him too. Wormbrand goes on, there are times when one must say such a thing as this, Joseph, and they are very rare. But to me, that is what it means to be a Christian. To believe in him is not such a great thing. To become like him is truly great. To become like him is truly great. Now, I know Wormbrand doesn't want to pit belief in Christ against growing in resemblance to Christ, but his point is well taken. The purpose of our passage this morning is to grow, for us as believers, to grow in resemblance to Jesus. So that whoever interacts with us, be they Christian or not, they say, if Jesus is like you, then I love him too. You see, we can look at verses 15 through 17, and it can sound like a lot of things to do. Be peaceful. Have the word dwell in you richly. In all things, honor me, as the Lord would say. But the overarching purpose is that we might resemble Jesus and thereby represent him to the watching world. The world that we live in does not define greatness as resembling Jesus. Greatness comes... In our world, by way of fame and money and power and looks and influence and position, but not by becoming more like Jesus. But for us, for those of us that bear the name of Christ, our great purpose is to be like Him. One of the reasons we're making that upfront and clear in our name, fixed on Jesus, is so that there is no ambiguity. We are called to be a church fixed on on Jesus more and more and more and more. So that when people interact with us, they say, if Christ is like you guys, then I love him too, or I love him more too. So our call this morning is to be more like Jesus in Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And in that short section, we see three ways we're called to resemble Jesus. We see them in the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, and the name of Christ. First, the peace of Christ in verse 15. We see that very clearly in verse 15. Look there with me. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, you need to understand the peace here is not an internal feeling. This isn't an internal feeling that we sometimes get and say, well, I feel a peace about this decision or that decision. This is not what's going on here. What we have here is a, what, what, what Paul is directing us to is to say the peace that we have received and been given through Christ, let that peace rule or govern you in all that you say or do. Let that peace that Christ has given you rule. Let it govern all that you say, all that you do. 
And also, not only that, he's making it clear that this is on a horizontal level. This is with, with each other. This is amongst our fellowship. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. The idea here is this. In every local church around the world that represents the name of Jesus, there ought to be harmony and peace because the people who follow Jesus have received the peace of Christ. We must be a people who spread peace one to another. We were called, just as the Colossians were called, we were called into one body. And if you're from another church, you're called to that body. We here must be a people who let peace govern all that we say and all that we do. We know as Christians we've been granted peace through God, through Christ, from God. God offered up His beloved Son as a sacrificial lamb for our benefit. We can say God made war on Christ so that we might be able to have peace with Him. And that peace that has changed our lives, that peace that has redirected our very destinies, that peace must be a peace that comes out of our lives to other people. The determining factor in how we interact with people is peace. We must be a people that express the peace of Christ to everyone in our lives, especially the people in our church. We must be a people who foster peace and harmony because we have peace with God. May we foster peace and harmony amongst the church. This is helpful to, 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 to help us understand we, we, we want to govern our minds. We want to govern our tongue. We want to govern what we speak. Do, does our speech promote peace or harmony and harmony or strife and tension? Do my actions bring peace or division? Do my words foster peace or suspicion? I think so often we as Christians, one of the things that we miss is that we think we can say anything we want and put the banner over top of it that from Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. And really what that means is I'm going to say whatever I want and then call it in love. That's not how that's meant to function. Yes, we should speak the truth. Yes, we should speak it in love. But also, we should be a people that as we speak, we spread the peace of Christ to others. Always. Always. We must be a people who let the peace of Christ rule with our words and our deeds one to another. Does the peace of Christ... You that you've received, Christian, inform how you speak and how you live. Do people experience peace or strife when you talk to them? Are people more apt to have your to hear your words build them into God or away from God? Are people more often are you are you willing to offer kind words in response to mean ones? Do your words sow suspicion or hope? See, we must be a people that have peace that spills forth from our every poor. Jesus was always kind and and caring for his stumbling, fumbling followers. Remember, he speaks peace to us at every turn. You read the scriptures and you find that in the New Testament, what we see on every page is peace, peace, peace. We saw it last week in verse 12. Look again there. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy ho- chosen ones, holy and beloved. Before we're told what to do and how to change, 
what we are drawn, our eyes are drawn to, what we want to, what Paul wants to make sure we understand is that as Christians we are chosen and that we are already holy and we are already loved. So no matter what we do as believers in obeying, that obedience does not purchase love. That obedience does not purchase a special place. We are already chosen and holy. That has the effect of bringing peace. Before we're told how to change, we're reminded that we are already different in Christ. That fosters peace. And we, as we interact with other people, on Sundays, in small group, as you get together and pray, we must be a people that lets the peace of Christ rule in all that we say and in all that we do. You know how you can tell what it looks like? The last three words of verse 15. And be thankful. Now that can sound like a throwaway sentence that Paul just sort of tacked on to the end. You know what it's like when you're walking out the door and your mom would say, be careful. It was just something she said for her own conscience, not because you would actually be more careful. That's not what this is here. This is not a throwaway sentence. Thankfulness is the soil that peace grows in. We as followers, now notice here, the, notice the direction of the thankfulness. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were indeed called in one body, and be thankful. Now in verses 16 and 17, we're going to have Paul tell us, be thankful to God, but here... Here we see something different. Here we are, in, we are encouraged, we are commanded in Scripture to be thankful one with another. To be thankful for the people in our church. We must be a people who are thankful for others. And in being thankful for other people, that doesn't mean these people need to be perfect because no one is. But we must be a people who express peace and thanksgiving and gratefulness for the people that are in our lives. I wonder if thankfulness is one of the most overlooked of Christian virtues. Here, even in our, in our short section, this section pulsates to the rhythm of gratefulness. But so often, in so many places, to be thankful is to be gullible. Or to be grateful is to be seen as being naive. Gratefulness doesn't take gratefulness doesn't take less discernment. It takes more. You know why? Because sometimes, most of the time, every time, what we have to do is look past the weaknesses in other people and see things to be thankful for. That takes discernment. That takes dedication. You see, many sometimes many who lob and foster suspicion accuse the grateful of just being simpletons because they don't freely share their critiques to any open ear. Paul was discerning. And thankfulness pulsates from the book of Colossians. A grateful Christian is not a naive Christian or a simpleton. A grateful Christian sees that in every person who has been touched by Jesus, there is always something to celebrate and be grateful for. Always. 
And it is to our shame that we do not draw attention to that more and more and more. Gratefulness, you might say, thankfulness is peace in action. You want to be ministers of peace? You want to let peace rule? Look for things to be grateful for in the people, in the people you do life with. Anyone can be a critic. That's easy. It's so easy. But it takes a Christian and one who's determined to resemble Jesus to be grateful. Anyone can point out flaws. That's simple. Anybody can say, that frustrates me. That's natural. But what's not natural? What's unnatural? What's supernatural? Is to look at the other flawed people in your life and say, I see the work of God in you. You're not what you should be. I'm not either. But I can see God at work. That's peace being expressed. That attitude resembles Jesus. You see, if we wait for perfection to express gratefulness in others, we will wait forever. If they wait for us to be perfect or worthy of some expression of thankfulness, they'll wait forever. Isn't it good that God doesn't treat us that way? Isn't it good that we don't have the promises of God hidden from us in the Scriptures because we don't really measure up to them or we don't really deserve them? He doesn't give us conviction. He doesn't load conviction on us with, 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 a, with, a, bat, with, with a big dump truck. He loads encouragement. And conviction comes one at a time. We want to resemble Jesus. So we want to be, we want to be, we want to be reckless in our expression of thanks to other people. Reckless. And the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ will rule as we are reckless in thankfulness. How else can we become like Jesus? How else can we look like Jesus? How else can we represent Jesus to the community around us so that when they see, if Jesus is like you, I love him more too. We have the peace of Christ. We also have, number two, the word of Christ dwelling. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How does the Word of God dwell in us richly? In large part, it's by singing. See, when we sing, we're not just filling time at the beginning of the service. We're not just saying, well, you know, a lot of people like music, so let's, let's sing. That might draw a crowd. No, what we're trying to do is sing songs that have the effect of causing the Word of Christ to dwell in you richly. And this is, this is one of the ways, this is the primary way in which we pick our songs. Does the content of this song cause the Word of Christ to dwell in people? Now I'm going to give you a news flash. Not everything on Caleb does that. It doesn't. We count it a holy thing, a serious thing, to put words in your mouth attached to melodies, right? Here's one thing I know about my preaching. You will forget it. You're not going to remember what I said by lunch. But you'll remember what we sang. And we want our singing to inform 
what we believe. Think about the songs we sang this morning. Each one of them pointed us to Jesus. Think about the song, All I Have is Christ. Now, even in the title, that challenges me. All I have is Christ. Really? I don't wake up and think, all I have is Jesus. I wake up and think, all I have is a lot to do today. All I have to do is grab some coffee to chase away this headache. But all I have is Christ is true. That's all I really have. Everything I have when it comes to family, when it comes to money, when it comes to possessions, when it comes to health, when it comes to reputation, when it comes to abilities, all those things, those things will one day all fade, but Christ will not. I have Christ now, and I have Christ permanently. And no matter what I face, I can recognize that all I have is Jesus, because he will never forsake me, he will never leave me, and so in comparison to everything else I have, all that matters What matters most is that I have Jesus. And as we recognize that, we're going to want to grow in resemblance to him. And so we're going to want to sing songs that admonish. So when we sing together, the purpose of congregational singing is so that you can hear other people singing and saying things like, I was once lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. There's other people like me, law, who were lost, who were dead in their trespasses and sin, who were once blind and can now see. I am not alone. You know, it seems like when you're out in the world going to work, going to school, wherever you go, it can seem like we are alone. And it's completely insane to worship a Savior you've never seen with your eyes. Part of the reason we gather and sing is to remind ourselves we're not alone. You know what? We sing not just to him, but to each other. I'm proclaiming something to you about I believe Jesus is all I have. And I'm not alone, and neither are you. You hear people sing, but as I ran my hellbound race indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. And we remind ourselves that there is only one way to God, and that is through the crucified work of Jesus Christ. And on the cross, we see the quintessential display of God's great love. He punished His Son instead of of me and instead of you, Christian. There is no more punishment for us. Now, all we know is grace. All I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. Jesus is my life. Not what I can do. Not where I can go. Not what I can earn. Not who I know. Not what others think of me. My life is Jesus. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. 
O Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose and let my song forever be my only boast is you. He's bought me, he's purchased me, and he's purchased you if you're a Christian. He can do with us what he pleases. Songs like this and others that we sing have the aim of verse 16. See it? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We sing together the word of Christ. We sing to each other and we allow it to take root. Something happens when we sing because we have in our minds not just lyrics, but we have, we have melodies that take root and land. You might not be able to memorize a bunch of Scripture, or maybe you haven't tried, but I guarantee you can remember songs. And sometimes what you need in the moment that you're struggling or you forget what you have is in Christ, you need to remember what you have. And so here we have this package that was delivered this morning to you to remind you Christ is your life and all you have is Jesus. And we have three stanzas that tell us that. And it's easy to remember because we put it to music. That's why we sing. We want the the, the word of Christ to dwell on us richly, so we sing. And we preach. Our, we we want to preach Christ from the Scriptures. The point of the Bible is not just to give us random truth, but to show us Jesus. To show us Jesus. It's very dangerous for us as believers to believe that if we know things about Jesus, that we really know Jesus. That is not true. J.I. Packer, if you read one book by J.I. Packer, read Knowing God. He says, one can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of God. You understand what that means? You could know facts about him, but yet not really know him. And he goes on to say, a little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about him. You can know about his attributes, but yet not trust him. You can know who he says he is, and yet not take refuge in Him. Our goal is to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly so that we aren't just people who have an intellectual understanding of what it means to follow God, but we're a people who follow Him. We're a people who resemble Jesus. Just because you know truth about Jesus does not mean that you really know Jesus. Preaching and singing every Sunday is meant to be a reintroduction to Jesus Christ. It's like on Sunday morning you walk in and you think, oh man, I need to be reset. That's Sunday. Sunday's like, okay, everybody, we're going to reset and remind ourselves who is preeminent and who is more important. It's not you. It's not what you're about. It's not your job, but it's Jesus Christ. So we're going to sing to him. We're going, to have, we're going to look at Him in Scripture. We're going to let the Scriptures speak to us. And we're going to remind ourselves that all we have is Jesus. That all those things that we think mark us out as unique, those things, those things will all one day fade away, but Jesus will not. All I have is Christ. See, we don't want to be a people who understand that Jesus can save, but yet we don't love him as our Savior. We don't want to just be able to defend the resurrection, 
yet and not live and love the resurrected Jesus. We want the Word of Christ to dwell richly. And we all have the responsibility to do that. That's not just leaders. It's not just for small group leaders. That's not just for preachers. That's for all of us. How do you do it? Well, you sing when you show up. Sing. Singing encourages other people. Also, we have the, the job as the church to admonish one another with all wisdom. In singing and also in encouraging with the truth of the word. This is not just for leadership. If we rely only on leaders to be the only, only teachers, then we're going to fail as a church. We must be a people who let the word of Christ dwell in us so richly that we're constantly teaching and admonishing one another. Oh, and I forgot a part. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's the T word again. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Now this time, our thankfulness is not to be directed at other people. We've already, we saw that in verse 15. But to God. We are people. We must be a people who ransack the scriptures to, to, to recognize what we have in Christ. To ransack the scriptures for the promises that he gives us. And express thanksgiving to him. No matter what we're going through, no matter where we are, no matter what we're facing, all of us, if you're a Christian, all of us, have reason to be thankful. All of us. I say that not because... I say that because I'm convinced in Scripture. I don't say that because if you're thankful, therefore you will have a better go of it in your life. You may not. But as a Christian, you always have a reason to be thankful. Always. What is your reason? What are the promises that ring the truest for you? We have great reason to be thankful to God. We have great reason. We have great reason. Again, the soil of the soil. Remember, we said thankfulness grows peaceful people. Now we see thankfulness also grows people that has the Word of God, that has the Word of God dwelling in them richly. So we've seen the peace of Christ. We've seen the Word of Christ. Now we look at the name of Christ. Verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now notice... Whenever you see words like whatever and everything, we're meant to put ourselves in this category and everything we do. Whatever you do in word or deed. So whatever you do, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means that we as believers, as followers of Jesus, we're people who must do everything in His name. Meaning that we always represent Jesus no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. We're called to represent Jesus always and everywhere. Notice 
that following Jesus is not just a matter of praying the right prayers, lighting the right candles, doing the right religious experiences, having the right rituals. No, what, following Jesus is, encompasses all of life. Whatever we do, wherever we find ourselves, whether in word or deed, may we do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. All of us. Only a few of us will work full-time like pastors, but all of us are called to ministry. All of us are called to represent Jesus. Following Jesus is not something that we as, a Christ, as Christians can say, well, you know, I will sometimes and not other times. We must recognize that no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, no matter what we're saying, we represent Jesus. And we must be a people who, in whatever we do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whether you're slogging away at work, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whether we're toiling at school, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whether you're trolling Facebook, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you're at a grocery store or celebrating Thanksgiving, do ev- whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whether you're happy or in pain or sad, Whatever you do, do everything, or in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's not a moment that we as believers do not represent Him. That's true individually, and that's true for us as a church. And there's something else. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do you notice the emphasis here? Thanksgiving, 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 thanksgiving. Give thanks. Are we sensing a theme? Thankfulness. Thankfulness. We resemble Jesus when we're grateful. As the peace of Christ rules our life, as the word of Christ dwells richly, as we represent Jesus in all that we do. You see, our goal as a church is, that, is to fix ourselves on Him so that when we interact with unbelievers and they interact with people from our church, they interact with you, and they say, there's something different here. We might not use these words, but we want people to say, if Jesus is like you, then I love Him too. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. Is to shed forth the love of Christ to believers and unbelievers in our lives. That's why we're here, to resemble Jesus, to be a people that, that others can say, if Jesus is like you, then I love him too. May we resemble Jesus. Lord God, help us. Let's pray. But I pray for all of us, Lord, starting with me. Lord, I know that there's all kinds of different times and places that I don't spread peace and the Word doesn't dwell in me richly and I'm not representing you the way I ought to, Lord. Thank you for your kindness and your graciousness. Thank you for your forgiveness and your patience. Thank you for not treating me as my sins deserve but for treating me as 
to bless as, as the life of Christ deserved, Lord. And so I pray for all of us that we would be a people that resemble you more and more. I pray that we would take seriously the reality that we are always representing you, that we have the opportunity to spread peace and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. May that be, may that be who we are. May we interact with other people. May they see you, Lord. We want badly to resemble you. And so I pray for all of us who are Christians in this room. Lord, I pray that all of us would lean forward to resemble you. Where there are things where we don't, Lord, I pray that you would help us to kill that sin as we saw last week. For those here who do not know you, Jesus, I pray that the testimony of people here would resound so that they might see that it's worth following Jesus. That these people, they love me and they love Jesus. And I pray that we would communicate that today, tomorrow, and for decades, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.